Here it comes. It's the Music City Real Estate Show with Andrew Buckwalter. Coming to you from his roving camper studio, The Rambler, in Nashville, Tennessee. Join us as we travel about town to discover the best real estate in areas you want to know about. With expert advice, finding the best deals, and meeting Music City's hit makers and emerging artists who call Nashville their home. And now, here's Andrew. Hello, Nashville and all you other listeners out there. Thank you so much for tuning in to Episode 7. I am actually in Sanibel, Florida, making this recording, doing some of the uh, segues in between the actual interviews and the musicians, and it is um, Thursday evening, um, and it's uh, sitting on a beach in Sanibel with not a person in sight. It's probably about 11 o'clock. I love coming out to the beach, and I figured, hey, this would be pretty cool to do a little editing on the beach. I do have to say that I miss the East Coast. Um, I don't know if you can hear the waves or not. I'm kind of blocking myself from the from the wind, um, but the uh, it's nice for the kids out here in the Gulf area. Um, Sanibel is great for finding seashells, but I do miss hearing the waves crash um, from the East Coast. Um, but anyways, so just figured I would do a little editing out here. So this week, I'm going to sit down with Brandon Hutchinson again. We're going to talk on uh, more lending topics for the month of July. He's going to explain different uh, lending options, FHA, conventional. He'll dive into uh, many details with that, down payment, stuff like that. Then I'll be sitting down with Julie Keltonic. She's a local local singer-songwriter. Um She's got some uh, great wisdom um, as well, you know, just uh, comparing your songwriting abilities to others and just not always knowing how long they've been in the industry. Um, So it was some good stuff from her. Um, So anyways, I hope you enjoy this episode and hope you tuned into episode six and heard all about the credit repair from Brandon as this month we'll be focusing on all lending aspects so great for uh just being prepared for buying a home uh but also if you're in the process good reminders of things to do as well so uh without further ado we'll sit down with julie and have her play a song for you and then we'll jump into an interview with her and then brandon and then finish up with the second part of the interview with julie and another song Um, thanks again This song is called The Proof. I wrote it with my friend and co-writer, Allison Clark, who is also a great artist. Uh, Everybody go check out Allison Clark. But it's called The Proof. We wrote it. uh, It's really our stories of coming to Nashville and um, just having the Lord guide us and all all that. Um, And it's funny because this song was one of my almost, it was almost cut by a big artist And it's funny because the song itself helped me get through the disappointment of that. Um, But I still have hopes for this song. I believe in it, and I would love to see it go out. So, called The Proof. You chose me to walk on 
This I'm familiar ground I'm leaning into you I'm stepping out But when the road gets long Give me strength to know That you're always good And you won't let me go If there was ever any doubt If there was ever any question in my mind If there was ever any reason To think that your love won't satisfy If I ever start to wonder That you'll do what you said you do Father, you are, you are, you are You are the proof Oh, 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 oh Oh, 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 oh Oh, 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 oh Your promises I'm trusting They've never failed before You gave your life so I could Walk with you in the calm of the storm Now in every step I know The fullness of your love And if that's all I have It's enough If there was ever any doubt If there was ever any question in my mind If there was ever any reason To think that your love won't satisfy If I ever start to wonder That you'll do what you said you'd do Father, you are, you are, you are You are The proof is in the life you gave The power to roll the stone away The freedom I found here in your when the veil was torn in two You covered and the love broke through You placed this new hope inside my heart If there was ever any doubt If there was ever any question oh, oh. If there was ever any doubt If there was ever any question in my mind If there was ever any to think that your love won't satisfy If I ever start to wonder That you'll do what you said you'd do Father, you are, you are, you are You are the truth Oh, 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 oh Hello, Nashville. I'm sitting here with Julie Keltonic. Um, she lives in Nashville and actually goes to uh, church I attend. Um, she is a singer-songwriter, and I'm going to sit down with her, pick her brain, get to know her a little bit, and then she's going to play a few songs for us. So, uh, Julie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. This is a really cool place we're sitting here in the Rambler. Uh, I'm sure y'all have heard about it if you have subscribed and if you haven't get on that because this has been a really cool thing to be a part of um yeah about myself let's see i am a singer songwriter like you said i grew up writing songs from the earliest age 
Um, it's really cool. Actually, my parents moved here to Nashville to be near us and they went through all their stuff and we found notebooks and notebooks of songs from when I was little that I wrote. Um, were you able to like republish any of those or get those out there? (laughs) Well, a lot of them were silly, just playing with rhyme scheme and I made up words. Like how old were you when you were doing that? Like four. Really? Yeah. And I still remember some of them and it's fun because now my littles, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Uh, Connor and Ethan, and they like sing my songs that I wrote when I was their age. So it's pretty cool. So what do you think at four? What inspired you to write? Did your parents, were they musical? Or? Oh, I just remember like twirling in the backyard going the bees and the trees and the seas and the like, you know, st- stuff like that. But um, my five-year-old Connor like actually writes songs and he's like, mommy, I have a new song. And he was like, get your phone out. And they're really good. Wow. So, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's cool to see that happen. Huh. And so I'm, I moved to Nashville um, nine years ago. It'll be 10 years in April. Okay. And um, for songwriting, mm-hmm. I had an internship before that at INO Records, which is now Fair Trade Services. Um, so Christian record label in town okay. and I kind of learned the ropes and I thought, Oh, I have to move back. That was summer after my junior year in college, mm-hmm. uh, in Virginia. Okay. And, um, but I was dating David and I was thinking, Oh, God is going to make me choose David or songwriting. And, but we know God is better than that. And, um, so he gave me both. And, uh, so then we got married and moved here and a few years later had Connor, baby Connor, who's five now. And I thought, Oh, God is going to make me choose mommy or songwriter. And God is good. He gave me both. So it's been a hat trick figuring out where the mommy hat, where the songwriter hat, put him down for a nap, run to a co-write. But uh, I'm living proof that it can be done. Right. That's so. cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah I know y'all um, moms juggle a lot. Mine stay at home. Mm-hmm. She's uh, she's out with the boys trying to get them to learn how to swim right now. Yes. Throw them in the deep end, I've heard. Uh, yeah. That's how people do it now. <laughs> well, you know, I was talking to an old neighbor. Actually, ironically, um, he is a drummer for Toby Keith. Oh, yeah. And I was talking to him. Well, he used to, um, I guess, I don't know if it was prior or during, but he used to um, train kids or teach them or whatever. Hmm. And he was saying like six months is like the key. Oh, you know, my gosh. To literally just to start. When they're six months yeah. old. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I mean, well, I dropped know. the ball on that one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we did, too. That's why it's like, didn't we already pay for this? I yeah. know. And the tough thing is, is we don't have a pool in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> they're not in it all the time to keep practicing. It. Yeah. And it's just that fear. So we have like floaties on and an inner tube and a noodle and they're like, <laughs> fine. And I'm like, fine with that. <laughs> so they'll never learn how to swim, right? <laughs> it's like, mommy, yeah. I want to touch the water. I like, know. Just your toe will touch I know. it. Um, so, so obviously from the inspiration standpoint, you just kind of were born with it it was a yes. god-given gift it's always um, been a part of me for and sure. so have you always played guitar did you play piano what'd you start out on like what was my your- grandma my dad's mom was a master jazz pianist so i was forced into piano lessons okay. and they always said oh you're gonna i took for 10 years mm-hmm. and i used to cry on the way to my lessons but they were like you're gonna thank us and i was like i will never thank you but i'm actually really glad i i was born with being able to play by ear, which I think is a skill that you can sort of develop, but not really. You kind of have it or you don't. Um, 
And then I had to learn how to read music. But thankfully, songwriting, you play what you want mm-hmm. and you don't have to read music. It helps to know keys and scales and all like Nashville number system, things like that. But um, I'm thankful that I can play piano. And seventh grade, I picked up guitar just so I could lead worship for the youth group. Mm-hmm. And so I learned four chords, five chords, and that has carried me. <laughs> you know, you can write a really right. good song with four chords. Most of them are. So, um, you know, I've grown obviously since then with guitar, but piano and guitar. But also, um, especially like when I was pregnant, I didn't want to lug a guitar to a co-write. I just wouldn't bring it. Mm-hmm. And I wrote some of my favorite songs just without an instrument at all, because okay. then you're not boxed into the feel, the, whatever you can play. You kind of can sing whatever you want. And most of my songs are actually written in the car, mm-hmm. singing into my phone. Nice. Um, so I heard somebody say, or I figured it out, I guess, that if you, every writer has a bend one way or the other mm-hmm. toward lyric or melody. Um, you can be good at both, uh, but most people will walk in the room and it's kind of good to know who you are. Like I'm the melody person or I'm the lyric person. And the way you can tell that who you are is which one makes you more nervous, a blank page or an, a recorder, mm-hmm. like an iPhone recorder or whatever. And for me, I can sing into my phone all day long, but a blank page, I'm like, oh, a blank page. So for me, that was really good. I learned that about three years into my Nashville journey is uh, most people have a bend. And the way you can tell is so for me, I'm I'm the melody person. So I can now walk into a room and uh, be intentional about picking a co-writer who's a lyricist. Okay. And it's so much easier. That's cool. I spent years, those first few years writing with people who brought the same gift that I did. Right. And it's, it was t- t- terrible. Now how so. do you, how do you distinguish that? Like, how do you pick up on that? Just getting um, to know them a little bit? Yeah. Getting to know them and just even asking them like, Hey, are you lyric or melody? And if they say the same thing, you still really want like, maybe if they're an artist and you mm-hmm. really want to write with them, say, well, I have another friend. Can he join us too? He's a great lyricist, mm-hmm. and that way it keeps the momentum going. Right. So right. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I think that's um, that songwriter had mentioned. I noticed almost all the number ones he has. He's usually writing with two or three people, you know, yeah, versus so just by himself. So, mm-hmm. which I, I had the thought too. If I was sitting in a room by myself writing, like <laughs> I would be like squirrel. Oh yeah, I'm writing. Yeah. You know, get so distracted. It is versus easy. if you had two or three people, just like hanging mm-hmm. out, it's a lot more funner. Hanging out with people. Yes. um, And and that way also everybody's pitching the song. Everybody's championing the song. Yeah. Yeah. And then I noticed he would, you know, I I, I can imagine if you're writing with an artist that is going to sing the song, they're going to have a lot more pull Mm -hmm. with getting that song if they like it. For sure. um, Just because they. Most of my cuts were with the artist. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so you can't. So you were born in Washington, D.C. Then you Mm -hmm. uh, were lived in Maryland. Yeah. And then I. So what brought, did, did music just bring you from here? Yeah. how old were you um, when you left Washington? Um, I was born in Washington, D.C. and then raised in Bethesda, Maryland. Okay. So I, it's like they're pretty much the same place. Oh, okay. Um, but what was cool about that is that Washington, D.C. is like this place where everybody comes from all over the world. Mm-hmm. They have NIH there, so people come from all over the world to like be a part of that if you're medical and they have 
like it's just like the best of everybody um, comes there and so obviously the presidents are there so I wanted to tell you it's funny because my whole life has like songwriting has been the thread Mm -hmm. but God has given me success in other really cool things that like I wasn't really trying for Mm -hmm. so for instance I got to sing for three of the presidents Um, it was Bush Senior Clinton and Bush that's cool. 41, 42, and 43. Yeah. Um, and back up for lots of people, mm-hmm. um, Christina Aguilera and B.B. King and Tony Bennett. Mm-hmm. Lots of really great opportunities there. But singing was, I love to sing, but that was never, I never wanted to be like famous singer. Okay. Um, so I think he just kind of gave me that to be like, here's something cool. Now, what do you think if you had that opportunity and kind of that stage setting, Versus obviously songwriting, you're, mm. you know, you're not on that stage. Mm-mm. What, what made you go one way or, or the other? It's a great question. I think for me, touring and playing and being gone is really mm. hard when you've got a little family. At gotcha. home. So I'm thankful that my songs can go out and I can stay home yes. when I write with other artists and they, you know, lots of them are in different phases of life, single mm-hmm. or um, able to travel in that way. And so, yeah, I'm really thankful. I love to sing and play out. And I, I was part of the Nashville choir for a long time when I got mm-hmm. here, but we didn't travel. Right. So, right. Um, okay. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. That's like seeing, well, you know, Jason Jordan and you know how he's kind of pulled back the same mm, scenario, like yeah. he teaches and does different stuff, but it gives him the opportunity to be home. Right. Um, and then I know um, Ross Holmes, same thing. I think he, you know, he's still doing some touring too, but he does a lot of session local stuff. So yeah. just to it's be able to, I, I think it's kind of cool to have the the ability to, you know, either ride or session or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you have those options. You, you know, can versus, be home for dinner. Yeah. 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 That's so cool. important, especially when the kids are little mm-hmm. and they're just home. Right. Made you, so right. I'm thankful. Yeah. When I'm, I'm talking to Natalie sometimes and if I'm thinking about going, I don't know, somewhere for a day or two or a, or a conference or something, I always think back. I'm like, well, musicians are gone like a month. You yeah. can handle this. <laughs> yeah. you know? And she's like, I yeah, but I didn't marry a musician, you know? That's true. And I think there are actually support groups for the wives oh, yeah? of these touring musicians. Yes. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, yeah. Communities. So now can you sing, like, can you do some Usher stuff? Like, you know? <laughs> yeah, when I sang with Usher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't learn all of that. But it was actually those, all of those really cool opportunities were around Christmas. Okay. So they came to sing for the president and I got to back them up. Right. Um. So every Christmas now, I will be like listening on the radio to Christmas songs, Silent Night. And I'll be like, oh, Christina Aguilera. Like when I sang this with her, right, like I'll think right, about my right. part and start singing it. So it's put a funny spin on Christmas for me. Yeah. um, So what is like with in regards to songwriting, what's like what's your favorite piece about that? Like, what do you enjoy? Um, Well, we talked a little bit about Uh co-writers and definitely um, the co-writers that I've met and made friends with have been my deep friendships. They were the ones coming to my baby shower and showing up when I needed them and stuff. So that has been Great. Um, what I love about the craft of songwriting is that a song cannot be undone. Mm-hmm. And especially as a young mom, when dishes will always need doing and you can clean up a house, but it always gets messy again. Mm-hmm. People always get hungry again. 
you can write a song and walk out and have it and no one can ever you can rewrite it and you should probably rewrite it but you cannot unwrite it right and that's one of my favorite things about writing songs that's cool yeah um let's see and we can edit this out yeah um so obviously playing for some of the presidents um mm-hmm. was probably pretty fun what are some other cool yeah. experiences you've had or or um musicians that you played with that were really memorable Let's see. When I was a part of the Nashville Choir, we got to work with a number of artists. Um, I got to sing on a Michael W. Smith album Mm. and um, who I actually became friends with his family. He has a really sweet family and they threw me a baby shower. Like crazy, crazy. When you move to Nashville, you just get to be friends with some really sweet people. And um, although there are really sweet people all over the place, but Mm -hmm. get some really cool opportunities that I never would have thought Um, I got to work with Allison Krauss with, in that way. Um, got to sing at the Ryman. Uh, one of my favorite songwriting moments was I had a song, my first song on the radio this last year, um, by a group called Love Collide. Okay. And you should, everybody should look them up. They're sisters and they sing together and tour together. And it's one word, Love Collide. And they helped me finish a song also with my other friend, Jenna Davis. We wrote a song called Mother of the Son of God. And um, it's a really sweet Christmas song. And Mm so um, I like downloaded the Way FM app and every time it was playing, it would pop up on my phone and we'd run out to the car like Alt David and the little boys oh, and I. Cool. And we'd be like, Mommy's song is on the right, radio. Right. And so um, that was that was a really sweet yeah. time, you know. Yeah. And of course, we were like praying, Dear God, please help Mommy's song to get on the radio when we weren't sure if it was going to happen. Right. And Connor, my five-year-old, started going, And my songs too, please. That's- and it was really sweet because so songwriting, like I said, has been the thread through my life. It's also been the way that God has taught me really important lessons. And that's why I think he hasn't handed it to me. Like I said, he handed me easily. I got to sing randomly easily. I got to sing back up for all those people. And um, I didn't talk about it before, but I was like, oh, I should be a greeting card writer and instantly sold like 63 greeting cards. And those are things that were cool, but they weren't like my heart. Right. Songwriting is my heart. And I've been here for almost 10 years and it's been a struggle. Right. So um, I, you know, we all are looking for validation. And I think as a writer, when you get the hit or you get a song on the radio or something measurable, Mm -hmm. it's easy to be like, now I have worth. Right. And God is like, that is such baloney. Like you have worth the way mm-hmm. that you are, no matter what industry you are, like, you know, whether you sell a house tomorrow, whether you sell, that, right. sell houses every day, you have the same worth to him. And um, so when Connor, my little five-year-old was saying, and please my songs too, I'm thinking, I told him, I was like, Connor, I love your songs the same right now. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it would be cool if your songs got on the radio, but I won't love them more if right. they got on the radio. And God's like, yeah to me right. you know right so that it, 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 is it, really good it is amazing the things that we talk to our kids about mm-hmm. i know for me even when i'm disciplining them or yeah. you know trying to explain something like literally the whole time it's like god's like yep you know i'm speaking mm-hmm. to you too you it's know so true and of it's course that's really where good. it's like you can't be perfect to 
you know, teach, but at the same time, it can be very convicting and good yeah. reminders, you know. Whenever. You're like listening to the voices yeah. coming out of your own mouth yeah. in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. Um, uh, well, that, it was cool you said that because I, I, the last actually couple interviews and actually um, speaking with Aaron Loy, um, just talking about, you know, having a passion or a heart for whatever you're doing, you know, yeah. can make such a big difference because, you know, if, if you, I guess, I guess if you don't know that passion or that heart, you're not as focused on it and you can get so distracted here or there. And really, mm-hmm. you're not ever giving anything its all. And if you base that on yeah. just the recognition of it, you could easily just give up on this or give up on that, you mm-hmm. know, versus, you know, like you said, it's like the songwriting's on my heart and I had these opportunities, but, you know, I'm not going to chase this other stuff that might look better or maybe right. even bring in more money or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're going to stay focused and, you know, let let that take its place. And let God do whatever he wants to do with it. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And that's uh, I mean, that's, you know, forever. I regretted not being serious in college. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and then I got, you know, a job moved here. And of course, you know, every job was good from the terms of, you know, increasing in money, I guess, but I was never content. Um, And it wasn't until I got into real estate that I'm like, man, I love this. I love everything about it. I've always been great with networking, even in college. Like I think, I think you're a likable guy. So I I just enjoyed, you know, and I enjoy people, but I would go back and knock on doors. You know, it's funny. Natalie had to teach me. You can't just walk into people's houses, knock. And I'm like, but everybody would let me in, you know? Uh Um, And so it's cool to, you know, somewhat stay focused on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those doors open in real estate and then now have the opportunity to um, meet new people and network and help. And now I get to do this, mm-hmm. you know, because I love music. Yeah. I can't sing. I can't play. But and I've always wanted to, like, be able to connect, you know, ever since meeting some musicians here. And it's like, man, I'd love to be able to do this or that. And yeah. now, you know, it's, the cool thing is, is people hop in my uh, in the Rambler. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, in a week, you wait. You'll have people reaching out to you left and right, wanting to write with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's get it going. Uh, I know. That's funny. Now, there's no guarantees there. Um, but, you know. Hey, I'm in the Rambler. I think I've made it. Yeah, you have. I mean, pretty much. You just wait. You'll be like, yeah, I remember that day when I was in the Rambler. <laughs> What a great first part of the interview with Julie um, and hearing her play uh, that song. That was pretty awesome. Um, now we'll tune into Brandon as he will educate you slash possibly bore you with lending stuff, lending options. Uh, but obviously, if you're in the market for buying, it's a lot of great insight as this is one of the biggest purchases you'll make in your life. So listening to an expert on all these topics to prepare you um, is definitely needed. So once we finish up with Brandon, we'll tune back in to Julie for the second part of her interview and have her finish out with a song. All right, we are back here with Brandon Hutchinson with the Legacy Mutual Mortgage. Um, Last week, we chatted with him about credit and everything you can do to help your credit, not hurt your credit. Um, but make it a priority. So that was some good stuff. If you did miss that, make sure you tune into um, that episode and check that out. So today, I'm back with Brandon, and we are going to discuss loans, what type of loans, down payment, um, what that looks like. So uh, I guess, Brandon, we'll start out with um, 
I know I've had buyers that have hesitated. Um, I don't know if it's hesitated, but you know, they wanted so much to put down. Um, but yeah, they also really wanted, you know, a house like right now mm-hmm. and they were renting, but they thought, you know, Hey, I got to have 20% cause obviously that's very responsible. Um, but when you're looking at, you know, your rents going up or, you know, all these different factors or say you found this house you really love. And, um, so I guess talk to us a little bit about that. Um, what are options and, you know, what's the best guidance and how much money to put down on a loan? Well, thank you again for having me. Um, like we talked about last time, to sound like a broken record, um, I think it's always best if you sit down and talk to a financial professional. You just want people to sit down and talk to I you, do. I'm really you? lonely. I'd like people just to make friends with me. So <laughs> sit down and talk a little bit. Uh, he'll give you like something to drink too, coffee. Yeah, coffee, like water, that. soda, whatever you'd like. Maybe even some snacks if you come on a good day. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I just think it's important to look at the overall financial picture. Um, I've and I can run the numbers. Um, I, I said last time I'm a numbers guy. And so I can go as, as deep with the numbers as you want to go. I can run like all these break-even analysis. We can we can look at things. And so I've done that with people before who've said, hey, I want to wait two years and I want to save another 20000 40000 whatever to put down. And so we'll look at, okay, here's the appreciation you'd have had, historical appreciation levels. And then we'll look at if interest rates change this much. Um, many times your purchasing power will fall, you know, 50 to $7,500,000, maybe one, two, three times what you saved to put down. Um, so a lot of times it's mm. not for the best. Sometimes it is. Again, it depends on the financial situation. It depends on the current economic client. It depends on your particular financial situation. Like how, you know, are you someone who is going to make on a fixed income? You're going to earn the same thing in three years you're now, or you're someone who has the possibility like a real estate agent, you can make bigger commissions sometimes than other times. So it really just depends on the overall financial situation to look at. But uh, overall, there are loan programs with little or no money down. So many people think that those are gone. They did tighten up a little bit when the recession, the financial recession hit in 2008 and 2009. Um, Lenders tightened up a little bit, but they have loosened up and there are still several zero or very low down payment programs available. Uh, And again, sometimes it's good to go with those. Sometimes it's good to save more money. It just depends on your financial situation. But uh, I like to look at all those factors and see what's Mm going to work best. Okay. Um, so what are factors that affect the interest rate? And on that, you know, on that note, um, you know, I know everybody's looking online, looking for interest rates. Um, obviously it can vary depending on lenders. So I guess, you know, just kind of hit on interest rates. Right. So it's sort of the kind of, I guess the, the old school way of thought. Like I have a friend, um, who's like our age and her dad, every time I see him, you know, he knows I'm a mortgage guy and he always like, Hey, what's the interest rate? You know, it's kind of the old, the old questions. What you always ask, you got to look and see what the interest rate is. Um, the answer to that, cause people ask that a lot of times, a lot of times people just call, you know, go down through the yellow pages or whatever, Google and mm-hmm. call the mortgage companies. What's your interest rate? What's your interest rate? Um, the answer is it's a loaded question. There are a lot of factors that affect your interest rate. Your loan program um, is a huge one. The two biggest ones on most loan programs, though, is your down payment percentage and your credit score. Mm -hmm. So, for example, on a conventional loan, they have what's called risk-based pricing. And risk-based pricing means that it looks primarily at your credit score and your down payment. Your credit score, they look at your tiers in 20-point increments. So 760, 740, 720, so forth and so on. Every tier you're lower is a higher risk factor, and that makes your interest rate go up. And then they look at your down payment percentage. 
the lowest risk, fac risk factor down payment percentage is 45%. So most people think 20% I'm gonna get the best rate. No, 45% down, you're gonna get the best rate. And then 40%, 35%, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, five, three, zero. Mm. And so there's different, different risk factors associated with each one of those. And so um, last time we were talking about like the credit scoring algorithm, the interest rates is not necessarily an algorithm, but it's just a sliding scale based on risk factors. All mortgages are at the end of the day, it's just a mitigation of risk. Somebody's taking the risk of loaning you a lot of money over a long period of time, and so they're going to look at the ways to mitigate that risk and to, and to lower the risk to themselves. And so all we can do from a mortgage standpoint is we look at historical data. So we'll look back and say, okay, this many people had this credit score and put this much money down, so they're at this likelihood of default. Mm -hmm. This many people put this down and this credit score, they're this likelihood of default. And then the rates are adjusted based on that likelihood of default. All credit scores, all down payments are at least some likelihood of default. Mm -hmm. So again, just the mitigation of risk, um, those are the big factors it, that affect interest rates. I know this is not real exciting stuff, but... <laughs> I know, I just fell asleep, sorry. <laughs> you may have there for a little bit. We're talking about mitigating risk, and uh, it's it's not as sexy as uh, as some of our conversations. You might want to like listen to that when you're going to sleep. Yeah, if you, know. you can't sleep tonight, just replay that whole part there about the mitigation of risk. I could talk about that all day. In a nutshell, your uh, interest rate is affected by the down level payment. of risk and a down payment yeah, type Yeah, the down loan. payment and your credit score. So what um, caution would you give people that, you know, are just looking at interest rates when they're shopping. You know, it's like some people, it's like, hey, I don't want to talk to you. I just want to know what's your interest rate? What's your interest rate? You know, and then there's some obviously bigger um, bank places that can quote X amount, mm -hmm. you know, interest rate. Like what's some caution there that you would advise? My caution is uh, number one, be very weary or leery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Either one, maybe both of anyone who's willing to give you those numbers over the phone without taking a whole lot of other factors in consideration. So if you just call and say, hey, what's your interest rate? And they give you an interest rate, you probably want to be a little bit apprehensive because they don't have enough information to give you that. Um, again, because they need to look at your credit, they need to look at your down payment, they need to look at your financial situation, they need to look at your stability of income, they need to look at your, you know, your housing history. They need to see all these factors that are coming into play when underwriting a loan to be able to give you an accurate rate. And then at the end of the day, after all those factors are taken into consideration, there's different ways you can structure it. So today, for example, we could give someone a 3.5% rate or a 5% rate, anywhere in between. just depends on how do you want to pay for it. The 3.5%, you're probably going to have to pay a lot of money out of pocket. Uh, the 5%, you're probably going to get all your closing costs paid for you um, because there's excess revenue. So there's a lot of different ways you can structure it. Um, so always you want to look for the fine print. You want to look and see, okay, is this actually real information or is this somebody just spitballing and just mm -hmm. throwing numbers out there, bait and switch, so they get my business. Right. Um, so how about what type of loans? What's the different, I guess, the best loan you would advise? That's another loaded question, right? right? So, yeah. Again. As I said that, I'm like, well, I know there's not really a direct answer for that <laughs> right. because there's... Yeah. for So, the best loan for you may not be the best loan for me or it may not be the best loan for your client, you know, that you're going to refer over. Um, it just really depends on their financial situation. So, uh, I'm going to say it again and I say it all the time to my clients and to everybody in my team in my office. Um, you know, sit down, do a plan. Let's mm -hmm. see what's going to work best. Right. Um so how about mortgage insurance? Um, what is mortgage insurance? I know FHA calls it one thing, conventional calls it another thing. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, conventional calls it uh, PMI or private mortgage insurance. FHA calls it MIP, mortgage insurance premium. Um, and so they're similar, but they're different. 
Uh, so mortgage insurance initially when it came about, if you didn't put 20% down on a house years ago, you were going to get a mortgage. So um, the government stepped in and said, hey, a large portion of the population can't afford to buy a house because they are never going to be able to save 20% for down payment. So they said, okay. So then that, that's how mortgage insurance companies came about. And mortgage insurance companies, they basically help carry some of the risk because those statistics that we were talking about there in the real exciting conversation a few minutes ago, um, as far as the risk is there's a much greater likelihood of default, the less money you have into a, a loan. And so the banks or the lenders were carrying all that risk. And so the mortgage insurance company said, okay, if you underwrite to this specific set of guidelines for those borrowers, we will insure part of the risk or part of the loss that you would assume if you had to foreclose on this house. And so that's what mortgage insurance is. It does nothing to benefit you or me, the consumer. It just benefits the lender and the bank. It helps protect them in the case of default or foreclosure. And so just so you know, the way they factor that, they say 0.0095 times four divided by 17 plus your height mm-hmm. multiplied by five. Right. And that's how they figure that, right? And your sister's phone number. Really? They want that yeah, now? they do. What if you don't have a sister? <laughs> then you're probably not going to get a, a oh, mortgage wow. insurance. <laughs> no, again. Just so that we're kidding there. Just, <laughs> yeah, somebody, <laughs> just to be clear. Isn't it funny because you think about all those disclaimers on the right. end of everything, and you're like, well, now make sure you clarify that. We're kidding. But it is it is dependent on, um, is, is, is FHA insurance um, credit score related, or, or no, is good, it more of good conventional? Question. Good question. Uh, no. So FHA mortgage insurance is not. It is the same across the board. So there is a factor. So that actually is an easy factor that we can give you. Um, now that changes FHA. They go back and they review their risk. And so every couple of years or sometimes a couple times a year, they'll change that factor. But like right now, if you're getting a 30-year FHA loan and you're putting down less than 5%, that factor is 0.0085. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they also have an upfront mortgage insurance premium they charge. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. And that's that. 1.75% of your loan. Uh, that's FHA. That's FHA. So now those are pretty much set in stone. They don't adjust based on your credit score. So if you have a 620 or an 820, they're going to be the same. Those uh, That upfront factor and the monthly factor. Now the only thing that changes is if you put more money down, the factor goes down. Or if you do a shorter term loan, like a 15-year, the factors change a little bit. Now also on the FHA, that, that upfront one-time fee, you'll see that on the HUD statement, right? Or the closing disclosure or whatever they yes, call it. Yeah, so it's going to be shown as a as a charge to you at closing because it's a one-time fee that's tacked on. Normally, 99.9% of consumers just roll that into their loan. So FHA does allow you to roll that under your loan, but we still have to show it as a settlement charge right. to you because it is a charge that actually a, chuck, a check gets cut and goes to HUD, who HUD is Housing or Urban Development, a government agency who started FHA. And then conventional, so that one is more dependent on your interest rate? Yes. I mean, your credit score? Yeah, so it is totally dependent on your credit score and your loan-to-value. And so it it moves greatly. So if you're putting 3% down on a conventional loan and you have so-so credit for conventional, then your mortgage insurance could be like on a, you know, could be $400 a month. Whereas if you're putting 10% down and you have great credit, that same mortgage insurance may only be $50 a month or $40 Mm -hmm. a month. It just depends. It, it varies. It's a big sliding scale based on loan to value and your credit score. So what is FHA? So FHA is the Federal Housing Administration. So again, they are uh, part of HUD, Housing and Urban Development. Um, so they are a government funded entity and they insure the risk on uh, FHA loans. So what they do is, again, they give us a set of guidelines or requirements that we underwrite to. And this, when I say we, I'm using it as a broad term as far as the industry 
everybody underwrites to FHA's uh, underwriting specifics that they give us as far as their guidelines. So those are FHA insured loans. That's what an FHA loan is. Okay. Um, and then as far as like who can get an FHA, what are some details of why you would go with an FHA loan over a conventional? So um, a lot of first-time home buyers go with FHA loans because they don't require as much down payment. Um, and also, if your credit is not spectacular, mm -hmm. uh, the interest rates are lower and the mortgage insurance is a lot lower. And with an FHA, you it might make more sense to go with an FHA or a conventional because of credit, but you can still put your 20% down or whatever you want to on that, right? Correct. I mean, there are some factors to look into. That that doesn't happen as much with 20% down. With 5 or 10% down, it happens more with 20%, unless your credit's just really low. Um, you know, there may be a better type loan for you out there, but with five or 10% down, certainly we see that happen a lot, especially with kind of middle of the road credit or people with limited credit, uh, where FHA comes to be a really good option. So with a conventional loan, mm -hmm. um, what is the say credit score to where you go? All right, I got 5% to put down. Um, conventional is going to make more sense versus FHA. Um, and I guess in a nutshell, what's the difference between those two conventional and FHA? Yeah, so conventional is, um, again, it's just a difference. It's insured differently. So mm -hmm. with 5% down, you're getting the PMI, the private mortgage insurance. So a third party is, is doing the mortgage insurance. And so they have a separate set of guidelines. Sometimes those are a little bit more restrictive. So FHA is more uh, liberal on their underwriting guidelines. So debt to income ratios. Debt to income ratio is huge difference uh, versus conventional. Sometimes what? Like what? 12 to 15% higher. So that means in layman terms. That like means you could borrow, let's say you make $10,000 a month. Your mortgage payment could be fifteen, twelve to fifteen hundred dollars a month higher on FHA. What you could approve for versus what you could approve for on a conventional. So really, on anything like that. So I mean, if you were, you know, if you were being approved for twenty five hundred dollar mortgage on conventional, you could be approved for possibly a thirty five or forty five hundred dollar mortgage on FHA. It just depends mm -hmm. on the exact situation. So they're more liberal on their credit score requirements as well. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it's just a sliding scale based on your past credit history. Uh, based on your credit score, based on kind of your income, down payment, that sort of thing, where it's at. At 5%, you probably need to have really good credit for conventional to make more sense. But again, we look at that situation right. for you and we kind of, we'll do a break-even analysis and show you the numbers both ways. Okay. And so how about a VA? Uh, what's a VA loan? So VA loan is the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs. So um, servicemen and women who have served in the armed forces uh, and have eligibility um, to buy a a home using the VA. Uh, it's a great tool, especially for no down payment because the VA doesn't require um, a down payment for eligible veterans. Interest rates are better on VA loans than they are on conventional loans, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and there is no monthly mortgage insurance. So they're really, they're really good loans for eligible veterans um, or surviving spouses of deceased eligible veterans. And so with the VA, there's usually that one time, what's that, the, the payment to put down? Yeah, so the VA has a funding fee. Right. Uh, now, however, if you were discharged with a service-related disability, um, then you can be exempt from the funding fee. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the funding fee is, is also, it's different depending on how many times you've used the VA. So you can use the VA on multiple occasions. So you can buy a house and then a couple years later sell that and buy another one, or in some cases keep that and then still buy another one with the VA loan down the road later. So um, speaking of the one-time upfront fees, when does it make sense to do a conventional and pay your upfront mortgage insurance? Yeah, so with conventional loans, there are options to pay your mortgage insurance either upfront uh, or 
monthly, or you can pay a one-time fee, or you can roll it into your interest rate. So there's multiple ways to look at it. One of the factors that I look at when I sit down with people and do a comprehensive plan is how long are you going to be in this house? How is your financial situation going to vary? Uh, again, if you're a commission employee or you know a real estate agent, perfect example, mm-hmm. um, and you have the ability to make you know more payments, then it may make sense to pay a larger fee up front. Or if you say, hey, we're only going to be in this house for two years. We know we're going to be moving. You know, We know we want to get in this certain area for school zone. Um, we're just going to be in this house temporarily. Then we may look at an option maybe to include it in your interest rate because you're going to pay a lot less than you would have paid up front or in the monthly with the monthly mortgage insurance for those two years. So again, it depends on your financial situation, um, but there's there's just a sliding okay. scale for all those. But if, so if you're if you're doing conventional and mm-hmm. you don't like the mortgage insurance, um, talk to your lender about potential options to not have to pay that every month. Correct. Yeah. At, at some point, you pay it, but you know, you if you're in the house for ten years, it would probably make more sense to pay it up front if you had it right. Yeah, in some cases, it does. So, okay. again, we'll look at that, and we can do a break-even analysis. That, that's my answer for everything, right? Yeah, cases. I was going to say, there's, there's, gotta, there's not going to be a direct yes, no. It's a, well, you know, it makes sense sometimes, which <laughs> exactly. I get it. I get it. My wife I mean, tells too me many factors, thing. you know. And, I mean, I would probably say that's obviously the, the, the caution of um, a lender. Yeah, actually, that's like, hey, so we're going to close, or we're going to do this? Yeah, I think we should. You know, right. it's like, all right, dude, I need a direct. That yes, may happen. No, right. you know. Yeah, and again, we will get it closed. I know, I get that, right. but I need to know the exact date. You know. Yeah, and again, that that could be your factor in choosing an online lender, right? Uh, someone. Yeah. Uh, that's what I tell people. Oh, yeah. Do you want a twenty-one-year-old in a cubicle three thousand miles away, or do you want someone with some local accountability? <laughs> and I, I had a first-hand experience um, representing sellers using a big bank. Um, <laughs> And uh, it was a tough situation um, for the seller, um, but we were delayed uh, because the buyer used this big bank. And the part that was most frustrating for me as the agent, especially when I had a, a seller that was in tears over, you know, um, just everything, uh, is I couldn't get an answer. I couldn't get anybody on the phone. I mean, granted, I wanted to, you know, it probably wouldn't have been best for me to get them on the phone, but... I wanted the least talk. I wanted to understand, you know, some accountability what's the problem. Yeah. You know, and it was so frustrating. So that was one thing I said, all right, you know, you can't make anybody use a lender, even me with working with buyers, you know, I can't say, Hey, I'm more for you, Brandon, but you know, you can use who you want to use. Um, I'm just going to give you my experience and why I like using someone like Brandon. Um, or, you know, again, if you're elsewhere, someone local that a realtor has, has some trust in. Um, but with the big banks, I was like, it, you're at least going to be approved through um, my preferred lender. You know, I'm going to try as hard as I can just because it could save a lot of headaches down the road. Even yeah. though, even though, they, and this is not a bashing of big banks. No, um, it's just true. a lot of times with, with the big banks, because I have a lot of friends that work for big banks in the mortgage departments that are good mortgage originators, but they don't have the control locally. So they don't control the underwriting. They don't control the process. And they mm-hmm. have to ship it off to different parts of the country, the closing, the funding, mm-hmm. anything like that. So um, most realtors that we work with are like yourself. They prefer right. to have some that added control. Somebody has their hands on every part of the process. They can say, okay, we know exactly where it's at. We can give you really specific time as far as what it's going to look like and when we're going to be there. Yeah, it's funny because, yeah, I'll say that because I've heard other people, yeah, we've worked with the big bank and it was totally fine. Um, and I've, I've had some that, that have, but it's just like anything in life. Sometimes it just takes one instance to, like, 
leave a mark and for you to <laughs> always go, okay, we're not ever going to put ourselves in that position again, even though I guess you should always <laughs> right. not give people second chances. <laughs> Actually, you should, but you know, check with the local one first. Um, as far as, is it always better to put more money down on a purchase? Uh, no, again, it depends on the financial situation. So, um, a, a good financial, you know, professional, a good loan officer is going to sit down with you and look at all the options. Um, so many times I will show people, I'll sit down with them and they'll say, Hey, I've got to put down 20%. I got to put down this. I got to put down that. Like they have this number in mind they want to put down and we look at it. And I had some folks actually just closed last week. Um, they came in, they said they want to put $140,000 down on a house. We ended up paid off every other debt they have put down $70,000 and now they're debt free except for a mortgage. Awesome. Their financial situation is about $800 a month cheaper than if they would have put down the 140,000. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I could have just said, Hey, yeah, let's do that. Great. You're in good shape. You know, you're awesome. You have a lot of money to put down. So it's not always better though, in my opinion, to put down more money. Sometimes it's good to look and see, are there things that are better? Can you move some non-tax deductible debt to tax deductible debt? There's different, different ways to look at it. And I think that's probably where, you know, again, while you're adamant about, I want to get in front of you, I want to talk to you because you take pride in looking at the big picture and helping guiding them. So, you know, one, because it's a thing, if you take good care of them, it's a referral business down the road. For sure. Know? Especially when you get stuff like that. It's like, oh, man, we were so set on direction A. And after we talked to Brandon, you know, we went this, this. And, of course, I try to pride myself on, you know, giving the big picture in the house yeah. scene as well. But I think uh, in real good. estate, mortgage, both. I mean, I think that, you know, we all need to ask our clients, you know, what's your long term? Like, are you going to stay in this house? How mm-hmm. long are you going to be there? You know, to think about that, you know, so we can make sure, you know, whatever house or whatever mm-hmm. mortgage we're directing them towards, you know, that it's going to be best for their overall financial plan. Yeah. And I think that's where not everybody has, not everybody thinks like that. You know, not every lender is looking at it that broad. Right. You know, it's easy. Just you to look be, at the details, right. but then have that experience to be like, hey, yeah, um, I had somebody text me today. Hey, uh, do you know agents that, that work with uh, rent to own? And I was like, I kind of laughed to myself. I'm like, in this market, it's pretty much non-existent. But then I think, I'm like, I don't see any reason unless you found a house that you absolutely loved. And they were, and, you know, you won, you were happy to be looking, and it was in this price point, and you absolutely loved it. Because there's really no advantage besides locking down a house that you like. Mm-hmm. Not that I've ever been yeah, acknowledged I mean, about, you know. Not a lot of advantage for the sellers, generally. Um, You know, unless they want to keep it for a while as a tax deduction. So, well, I think some buyers think that that money actually goes towards a down payment. Right. In most cases, it's not. It's just like renting a house. Right. Um, So uh, what makes mortgage payments go up over time? Is it the fact that, you know, you as the lender, you add in more costs that you know, benefits you or. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we like to look back and try to add in $2 a month to every client that we've Brandon's ever Brandon's looking at me like, uh, where are you going with this? Man? <laughs> right. Right. No, that would be uh, something that's frowned upon in the industry. <laughs> so the, the terms of your loan um, and as a caveat, pre 2007, 2008, there was a lot of adjustable rate mortgages done. Um, there are very few adjustable rate mortgages done now just because there's not a big benefit to them. And also, you know, very rarely are we going to be in a position or are people going to be in a position where it's beneficial? I'll probably do, you know, 
one percent of our loans will be adjustable rates, but that's just because it's a situation where somebody says, "Literally, I'm moving in a year. I'm moving in two years, so maybe we'll give them a five year, you know, where it's fixed." But ninety nine times out of a hundred, we're going to give them a long term fixed. And one of the things in your legal documents you sign at closing is nothing can change on your fixed rate. Whether you're signing a loan with us, with XYZ Bank, whoever, whether we sell the loan, whether they sell the loan, whatever the case, your principal and interest can't change on that fixed rate mortgage. So it's always the same. So on those type of situations, when the mortgage payment changes, it's probably because you're escrowing your taxes and insurance. Mm -hmm. And the one thing you can be certain of is your taxes and insurance are going to change over time. And most likely they're going to go up. Um, Property values are going to increase. The counties and the city is going to want some more money for saying that, you know, your property tax, uh, your insurance company is going to suffer losses. They're going to raise the rates across the board on everybody, even though you may not have had a loss. So your taxes and insurance go up. That's what generally makes mortgage payments go up. Now, again, there are that one percent or whatever. I don't even know what the the industry average is, but I would say it's probably one percent now who do the adjustable rates and those change. But those are very rare anymore. On that note, you know, should everybody escrow taxes and insurance? Well, as we talked about earlier, um, the real exciting conversation about mitigation of risk, um, a loan that escrows taxes and insurance is a lower risk to a lender. The reason being is because if you don't pay your taxes to your county or your city, your city or county can come in and foreclose and they can overtake the first lien position. So they get paid first before your first mortgage company gets paid. Mm -hmm. And so from that perspective, it's a higher risk to your lender. Um, and so generally there's a little bit of a bump to your rate if you don't escrow and to not escrow, you have to put at least 20% down and then you have to take a little bit higher interest rate because it's a little bit higher risk. So from a risk perspective, no, you shouldn't. Every once in a while, again, we'll have people who don't want to because they want to hold on to their money. They want to let their money work for them because basically when you escrow, you're just putting that money in an account with the bank, the financial institutions, getting the benefits, drawing the interest, mm-hmm. using okay. that money. So sometimes people... Uh, maybe you're more financially savvy people right. will want to hold on to their money and just pay it. But for most of us, it's easier to set it and forget it than have to come up with that money once a year, you know, come up with a couple thousand dollars for taxes or insurance or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's more difficult to do. So again, for the most part, it's better for most of our consumers to escrow their taxes and insurance, but again, no hard and fast rule there. Um, and then I was reading, or I was, yeah, I was reading one of these questions you had and it has, for sure, internet lender. That's surprising. Would you, you suggest <laughs> internet lender or would you do local lender? I would probably lean towards a local lender. Uh, again, sit down with a professional, face-to-face business, You know, shake their hand, look them in the eye. You've got to have a trust. You're borrowing potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars from someone. I think that's worth 30 minutes or an hour of your time to sit. Because mm-hmm. you're think about it, you're making a 20 or 30-year decision for this loan. I think it's worth your time to go leave work a little early, go on your lunch break, something like that, meet somebody even after hours and talk a little bit about your financial situation. I think it's always better to do that, have that added accountability. Again, it's hard to have a relationship with an internet lender across the country sitting in a cubicle that may or not be there, may not be there when there's a problem. So you want to make sure if something goes wrong that you have somebody in your court that's going to do their best to, to make sure and fix that. Um, and then I know we talked about student loans last week, um, but with student loans, will that prevent someone from getting a loan or is that just really more factored in on the debt to income ratios? Yeah. So uh, there's actually been some recent changes to the industry. Uh, Fannie Mae, who writes the, the credit risk policy for the majority of the industry, um, they had some fundamental changes to the way they looked at student loans. So for years and years, if your student loans were in deferment and you weren't paying them, 
then mortgage companies wouldn't make you count those into your student loans. About three years ago, the industry as a whole kind of came together and said, wait a minute, we've got all these people who have hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans that are not, we're not factoring those in there. And then when you do, they can't afford the houses. So what does our industry do? They do a knee-jerk reaction and overreact, and they start charging a higher percentage. So even if you're in deferment, they say you got to charge 1% or 2% to go towards the debt ratio. So like the 2% example, you have somebody who's got $100,000 in student loans. Even if they're not being paid, for a while, lenders were making you count $2,000 a month against their debt ratio. Uh, Best case, $1,000 a month. So Fannie Mae actually changed this and said now we can use the actual payments because there are these in, mm. you know, uh, income-based repayment type of plans. There are plans like that where people will actually keep their their student loans on a lower payment because there's no way they're going to charge you $1,000 a month or else you'd go into foreclosure, you know, right. your average consumer. So there was just some fundamental changes that it actually makes it a little bit more affordable and has been the last two, two and a half years uh, for your consumers with a great deal of student loans to be able to qualify. So – Again, the industry ebbs and flows, makes sometimes some knee-jerk reactions, but if you have student loans, you can still buy a house. Uh, and if you tried a year or two ago and you were turned down because of the amount of student loans you had, maybe a good time to recontact your mortgage professional and see if you qualify now due to these recent changes that Fannie Mae came out with. And then um, also FHA, are they still set to where you can't um, refinance, or you can refinance, but you can't um, drop the mortgage insurance even if you get 20%, you know? Correct. So on a 30-year FHA loan, uh, the mortgage insurance, that monthly MIP stays on there for life. So it does go down every month as your balance goes down, but it stays on there for life. So a lot of times with consumers now, FHA is more of a short-term solution. So you're buying your first home. You don't have much money to put down. Um, you know, Maybe it's a good thing. In this market, you know, knock on wood, we have great appreciation. Home values are increasing mm-hmm. year over year. So many times we can get people in with an FHA loan. Two years later, they may have the 20% necessary now to refinance to a conventional loan and not have that mortgage insurance. Also, if they had limited credit two years ago, having a mortgage for two years is going to give them some some good credit history. And again, hopefully we've counseled them and given them some good advice on other ways to build their credit and be in a really good financial position. But yeah, FHA, for 30 years, you probably don't want to pay mortgage insurance for the whole 30 years. But again, it's still a great tool for first-time home buyers and for a lot of your average home consumers that are buying homes. Right. Um so what are some funny stories you have or some interesting stories you've had in your 16 years of of home buying for some entertainment? <laughs> some entertainment. Um, well, I think we talked last time about the, uh, you know, having some fraud. So we had we had that, you know, we've had I've had multiple situations of fraud. Those aren't really funny. Those are sometimes costly to the financial institutions. Um, I've had people do some really not smart things. I've told I told a guy a couple years ago that. Uh, in order to refinance, he had to pay down his credit card debt because it was keeping his credit score too low. Um, he quit making his mortgage payment for four months and put that money onto his credit cards to pay down his credit card balances. So you really can't make this up. And so, he really just didn't know. He, he was like, well, you told me to <laughs> to pay down my credit cards. I didn't specify to make your mortgage payment every month. So as a public service announcement, if you have a mortgage, keep making your mortgage payments at all times. That's pretty funny. So that like, was, yeah, that was a real, a true story. It happened. So now I have this little paper that I give people when they come in. It's do's and don'ts. That's like number three on it. Don't right. quit making your mortgage payment Under to save money. any circumstance. Right. Yeah. And that's what I tell people. So if you ever go through a financial hard time, make your mortgage payment. 
if you have to if you have to choose you know one thing that you're not going to pay hopefully you never have to go through that situation but if you do always make your mortgage payment because the larger the item is the more effect it's going to have on your credit score um, and so missing those four months of mortgage payments took a long time to recover whereas if you missed a couple months of another account it probably would have only taken a few months to recover from so that's a funny story uh, trying to think of any other funny stories I told you the lawnmower story the fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollar lawnmower um, I've had people you know quit their jobs two days before closing um you mean oh i shouldn't have done that uh we've had people go self-employed who were employed um and then if you go self-employed generally speaking you have to have a year or two years of history before you can Mm -hmm. get a loan uh and then not realize that so that's again most of these funny stories are more painful right than than funny uh we've had some funny clients though now on on that on that about Mm self-employed um and a lot of musicians, you know, hopping in the Rambler. Um, I know you have experience in working with musicians, but self-employed in general. Um, you know, what's, what's I guess, some advice um, on that as far as looking with a local lender, a big bank? Are those factors that can be um, better with working with a local lender? Absolutely. So, um, again, I know you've never heard me say this before, but I like to give people a plan when we sit down. Um, and, and again, it's never too early to start to prepare. So many times I'll sit down with people a year, two years in advance and help get that plan. Um, and we'll talk about like what they've made on their income. Sometimes we've had to have people make more money, right. um, maybe take less deductions. So the government doesn't say that you have to take every deduction that's available to you. I know all of our CPA friends are probably cringing right now because they want you to take every deduction you can and Mm -hmm. save the money you pay in taxes. But sometimes uh, we have to advise them on different things to do. There's other situations where we've had them add a cosign or maybe a family member or a friend who's like a family member cosigned to help them get in the house where they just haven't had enough income the previous year. So, again, there's always a way or a plan that you can come up with. It may not be today. You may not like it, but there's always a way to come up with a solution. So we like to sit down and look at all those. And I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of musicians Mm -hmm. over the years. And so, um, you got How many do you have now in your office? I know two. (laughs) I just met a new one. Yeah. So I have a couple of, uh, of musicians on my team. Um, so yeah, so it's, uh, it's good. Um, we've got several that, that work with us and obviously in music city, you can't go very far without running into some musicians. Right. Right, but we love our our local musicians and the the local the flair it brings to everything. Uh, with us. It makes us actually it just kind of makes us a cool city, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we need all the help we can get there, uh, especially talking about mitigating risk. <laughs> um, anything else? Any other anything? Any other interesting stories? Any other little tips regarding you know the loan programs? I can't think of anything that comes to mind. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, just pay your bills don't quit your job don't change bank accounts at the last minute um you know don't just just don't do things that drastically change your situation i mean i've i've got tons of stories i could i'll try to think of some before the next time we we talk and share some of those with you but but yeah just uh, make your life easier when you're getting a loan um just keep your financial situation pretty stable while you're going through that loan and if you don't understand something ask again yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, always like, ask. Cause that's what I tell people. I'm like, hey, if your car breaks down, you got to go buy a new car. If you're about to get a loan or you're in the process of getting a loan, just call us. We'll tell you, hey, yes, this is going to hurt you or this is not. So mm-hmm. hopefully that's helpful. And again, choose a lender you can sit down and talk to and figure out a good plan. Now, do you like to sit down with clients like one-on-one? Or I'm not? pretty much opposed to that. <laughs> 
All right. Well, until next time we meet, and uh, we will hit on some brief finance questions and just some more general questions with lending. So uh, we will chat with you uh, next week. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now that you know exactly the type of loan that you will go after for your home purchase, um, which actually, if you listen to the interview, you would know to sit down with the lender to make sure he he or she has you on a great plan. Um, now for the second part of the interview with Julie. Here you go. Okay, so looking back, what's something you wish you knew when you were first starting to write? Or, you know, just some wisdom that you can pass on to people that are trying to make it. Okay, that's a really good question. I think um, everybody carves their own path and we all learn our different lessons, but a lot of them are the same. Um, I think comparison is a thing that everybody struggles with, whether you're a musician or whether in whatever industry, whatever you're working toward, whatever your dream is. Uh, it's easy to compare, especially in this day and age when things are so measurable. We've mm-hmm. got Facebook, Twitter, whatever else. I'm not even hip to know all the things. Um, but you've got likes, followers, number of plays when you're a musician. Uh, you throw a video up onto YouTube, and if you don't hit the number of plays that you're expecting, it can be really you know, sad, and you're thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't have posted that. And the truth is, with music and with a lot of things, it's not always measurable. It's it's kind of the lie that we that we believe is that more likes, more plays, more downloads mm-hmm. equals success. Whereas I might have one person hear a song and it really impacts them and it changes them or lifts their mood or makes them decide something different. Um, and I'll never know about it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's hard, mm-hmm. but it's also what's true. Um, I think I heard somebody say, don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. And that was really wise because a lot of the people who are where I would like to be as far as Grammys, Dove Awards, publishing deals, all of that stuff. A lot of them are older than me. A lot of them had been grinding out longer mm-hmm. or spending more time. And so you just never know when you see somebody succeeding no matter what the industry we really assume a lot and I I think it's important to just know that we each have different stories and that we better be living our stories Mm -hmm. Um, I think if a lot of something that I've learned also is that I need to write from the heart what needs to be said and not what I think the industry needs Mm -hmm. it's it's good to know you know what the industry trends are as far as sound and whatever But I want to, I think this a lot, at the end of my life, I want to like my catalog. Mm -hmm. I don't want to look back and say I wrote tons of songs because of what somebody else told me sounded good or somebody else said needed needed saying. Uh, The songs that I've written from a real place, and I'll play you a couple of them in a Mm -hmm. minute, um, are I think what strikes a chord in somebody. If I'm just writing something because I think somebody wants to hear it, then it's like, it's it's. People can tell when it's not as genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who is an established writer will know that one song needs to be about one thing. And mm-hmm. we call that the North Star. Every lyric in the song needs to point to the North Star of what you're trying to say. I think a lot of beginner writers have five good ideas and they want to put all five good ideas into the one song because mm-hmm. they think they're never going to write a song again. You're going to write a song again. Uh, and so you pick one idea and you make the entire song about one thing. 
And that's um, that's been a lesson that has has really improved my songwriting when I figured that out. Mm-hmm. Well, like I say, like literally, as you were saying all that comparison and stuff, like I'm, I was just going, man, I want to be like, yes, yes, because yeah. it's so true. Like um, even with actually, I, I, I think back to one time when I was working a different job and I remember there was a guy. And they had just sold a house and bought a house, and like his wife stayed home, and I mm-hmm. I knew he didn't make a ton of money. Yeah, you're like, yet, how are you doing? They, this? Yeah, I'm like, how are they doing all? That? And and so I remember thinking in that moment, I'm like, I could sit here and go, golly, you know, comparing myself to him. So keeping up with the Joneses, and I remember having the thought that the problem with keeping up with the Joneses, you you don't know how the Joneses got there. Right. You don't know their situation. Like mm-hmm. I come to find out, he had inherited. A house and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it is interesting how you can get caught up and even like being in real estate, you know, like you said, you, it's easy to measure the numbers because right. I can look it's up measurable. my numbers and my Easily. success. Yeah. And I've even caught myself going, oh, yeah, I closed X amount. And then I think, why does that matter? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like if, if I'm, you know, giving a great service to my clients, mm-hmm. um, that should be Which the motivating you do. part. I know you do. Thank yeah. you. Not um, about, you know, the numbers or what another agent did or something. Because yeah. I think if you do get caught up in that, guess what happens? Now I'm like, I got three boys that want my time. But I'm like, nope, I'm mm-hmm. just running over here. You know, yeah. Because I got to get the goal is that number. And being like, a great dad is not quite as measurable. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But um, so I mean, important. when the boys, you know, it's funny. Graham will come up to me and give me a hug. And I love you so much, daddy. And honestly, sometimes I'm like, yeah, but I was kind of rude, you know, a few minutes ago. But I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, good. Hopefully they got short term memories. Right. You know? um, and then even even doing this podcast, I was telling Natalie last night we were talking and and I was like, yeah, you know, you got the normal thing. It's like you you do a podcast and you go for these likes and you do all this stuff. Right. And I have to remind myself that like the normal um, podcast, bot- podcast launch and all that stuff. It's like, you know, what I'm doing is, you know, a little different and it's yeah. getting in front of people. It's hearing a story like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have to make sure that I'm grounded in what I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know, not about. You know, hey, get all these reviews because really the first first you know week I launched it, man, I was or actually the first few days I was like, hey, review this, like this, and then I was just like, man, I just got tired of it. You yeah, know? it's like great if you like it, review it. Yeah, you know? but with what I'm doing, it's not like I'm doing the podcast to you know because people could go with YouTube and and get sponsors and make money through that, or mm-hmm. you know do the podcast and make money through that. But it's like that's not my intention. If it yeah. happens. Great, but I'm not consumed with that. But you have to keep yourself grounded in doing what you love, and yes. you don't get caught up in the numbers and or caught up with the Joneses. Figure you know? out that people are the point. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's that's cool. Like I was like, yes, I like that. Yeah. One last thing I would say though, to if if you're, um, especially if you're new, but you know nobody thinks they're new. So I think um, songwriters who are open to it is to get feedback and don't get feedback from your mom because she's going to tell you you're perfect get feedback from people who are in the industry so um some places that i go are next level songs with pro publisher stephen duncan songwriterpro.com with hit writer brent baxter um nsai is the songwriters association and that is um all over the u.s but you can get on, be a part of those things and get some real industry feedback for mm-hmm. your songs 
because um, great writers are rewriters. You write it, you get in, uh, industry feedback, and then you go back and you rewrite it. Even people who are assigned to publishing deals, that's one of the big perks is you ask your publisher, what do I need to change? So um, that's another huge piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So what do you have new working on? You got some stuff coming up? Or are you just grinding it out? You know? I am... Writing, writing, writing right now. Um, starting in August, it's going to be a little easier because Connor will be in five-day kindergarten and Ethan, my two-year-old, will be in two-day-a-week preschool. Okay. So Tuesday, Thursdays will be my week to grind. Before I had kids, I was writing to give perspective. I was writing 10 to 1 and 1 to 4, 10 to 1 and 1 to 4, 10 to 1 and 1 to 4, two songs a day, five days a week. Mm -hmm. Because you have to flush out the bad songs to get to the good songs. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to do this thing, you've got to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to commit myself to honing the craft and to the work of songwriting. Right. And, um, you know... That's how you get it. That's how you cool. do it. So and so, your husband built your website, so he does a little website. Yes, like what's, thank and you. He plays music I and, I look you know. so legit because my husband David Keltonic from davidkeltonic.com uh, built my website. He's a graphic designer and web designer. Okay. Um, so yes, if you go to juliekeltonic.com. Um, or anyone could email me at juliekeltonicmusic at gmail.com. But I would love to connect with anyone who wants to. And so if people want to follow you, are you more of a Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? I am on Facebook and um, I'll post some of my songs up, up on juliekeltonic.com. And I need to get into it. I haven't really started the blog. Mm -hmm. There's a blog on there. I've written one. Right. So <laughs> it's funny. I'll go through some websites and I'll be like, oh, that's a cool blog. And I'm like, oh, that was three years ago. I'm like, yep. I guess they didn't take off, you know? Well, that's yeah. the cool thing about this is like, I can take um, the podcast and then it, they have show notes. And so you can take the show notes and that's like the blog. That's and so then good. you can get the video and you yes. can throw those on there. So, so one hour. Is a lot of different content, mm -hmm. so that's cool. Yeah. Well, um, well, that's awesome. Great advice for um, songwriters, musicians trying to make it. Um, mm -hmm. That's cool because you know it's just really stand focused. Don't compare yourself and follow your heart. You know, mm -hmm. um, right? What's real? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Because if you don't res, if your song can't make somebody feel sad, happy, joyful, feel the good beat, whatever it is, if it if it doesn't make you feel something, it's not worth mm -hmm. anything. Yeah, I loved. Uh, what's the first song you had on on your website? Oh, beautiful day. Yeah, it's gonna be a now. Is that the one you day. sang, or is that the one that um, my my co writer Jenna sang okay. it? But yeah. I sang back up on yeah, that I one. Mean, it was so, so, yeah. I was like, this is awesome. Like it was just <laughs> so happy, you. and like yeah. it was really good. So thanks. That's um, the one where, like, we need this to be a Target commercial. So, Target, if you're listening, <laughs> Julie Keltonic music. I mean, yeah. super happy song. Yeah, Thank that's cool. You. All right. So, Connor, tell me a little bit about some of the songs you've written. What inspires you to write? Well, I wrote one song called God, You Made the World. Well, that's cool. Was it fun writing it? Uh-huh. So, has your... Has watching your mom write, has that inspired you to write a little bit? I don't know. <laughs> Why do you like to write songs? What do you like? What's fun about it? That you get to choose what, um, what's about. Yeah? Mm -hmm. That's cool. How many songs have you written so far? Uh, I don't know. 
You've written so many, you can't even keep up with them. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to keep up the writing? Yep. So you're how old? Five and a half. Because I think your mom said she was writing when she was four. That's pretty cool. So maybe you'll follow in her footsteps, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah? That'd be fun. Cool. Well, um, anything else you want to tell the audience about your songwriting? Where can they find you? Like, do you have a website yet and Facebook or Instagram or anything? <laughs> no, but I, but I did make up a, a cool drawing. Oh, really? Well, cool. Oh, she has a logo. Oh, nice. Tell them about the logo. Yeah, it's like a C with like a like a dragon fire out there. Really? That's pretty neat. Well, you have to show, you have to, but is that on Facebook too? I could put it up on Facebook. Nice. Well, good luck to your future writing. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope to hear you soon on the radio. (laughs) Love that. Love the smile you had. So now we'll let you sing a little bit. All right. All right, this song is called You Are Good. I wrote it, um, it's funny because if you heard my song in the beginning, I said, uh, almost got cut, threw me into sadness. This song was written in the sadness, and it's funny because it's actually my favorite song in my catalog, and so it's a good uh, illustration of the treasures from the trials. Uh, So my friend Lydia Walker helped me finish this, and she is another great artist that everybody needs to check out. So this is You Are Good. When the ground beneath my feet turns to sand around Even when I cannot see your hand in what I hold 
Julie. Hopefully you walked away with some good insight and wisdom from a singer-songwriter's perspective or just in general. Um, you know, obviously she is singer-songwriter, but she is an entrepreneur as well, so there's a lot of great insight um, in that, from that perspective as well. Hopefully you gained some uh, invaluable wisdom from Brandon, and uh, if you do have any further lender questions, he would be happy to help you out. He's got a great team. I can I can definitely vouch for. I uh, worked with him for over five years, so definitely highly recommend him and his team. Um, again, thank you so much for tuning in to Episode 7. Um, also, don't forget about Episode 5, which we um, sat down with Tennessee Voices for Children and learned all about the nonprofit that I'll be partnering with for July. Um, so if you did miss that, tune into that. A lot of great insight um, from that nonprofit. And again, that's you know one that I'll be partnering with in July that I'll donate um, some proceeds from closing to. Um, also in referrals I get for the month, I'll donate some um, money to as well. So great, great nonprofit. And then tune into episode... Um, eight next week as I'll be finishing up July with Brandon. We'll be, we'll be hitting on some more loan information. Um, we'll be sitting down and talking about re- refinance options and just some other general questions regarding uh, lending. So uh, definitely tune into that to, to make sure you are 100% prepared when it comes to buying your house or refinancing for today or in the future. I also sat down with Eric Dundemeyer. He is a local songwriter. Um, he's had some uh, some great experiences as well in the music industry, um, writing for some, some pretty well-known artists um, and just been at different places and even different work experiences. So it was pretty enjoyable to sit down and chat with him. I think you'll enjoy that interview next week as well. And as always, don't forget, I am in real estate. I work with uh, Buckwalter Impact Group uh, with Benchmark Realty in Nashville, help buyers and sellers in the Nashville market and surrounding. And also, if you're in other markets listening and you do not know a lender, um, I'm sorry, well, lender or a realtor, uh, make sure to reach out to me. I can connect you with some people in your area as well. 
Again, thanks thanks a lot for tuning in to this episode. If you got a second and you enjoyed the, the episode, uh, feel free to leave a review and make sure to tune in next week um, to episode eight. Thanks again. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Music City Real Estate Show. If you enjoyed our program, please leave us an iTunes rating and review and subscribe for more music and valuable insights each week into Nashville's real estate landscape. Send your comments, questions, and ideas to podcast at buckwalterimpactgroup.com. And remember, don't give up until you find the property that's right for you. See you next time.